Nine Lives, the debut album from Catalyst, grips with infinite possibility and reflects the contemporary Los Angeles jazz scene. Catalyst is more than a nine-piece band. It's a collective of producers, composers, musicians, and writers who represent a who's who of the Los Angeles jazz community. You can listen to the album on all of the major music platforms or purchase a copy through bandcamp.com. Catalyst with a K, and the album is Nine Lives. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. While checkpoint inhibitors represent a class of promising new therapies to treat cancer, the efficacy of these immunotherapies have been limited because of the ability of cancers to develop resistance. In part, that's because of the multiple mechanisms cancers have to evade the immune system. Copygen is using a computational discovery platform to identify proteins and pathways that drive immune-resistant mechanisms to checkpoint inhibitors. We spoke to Anat Kondag, CEO of Compugen, about the company's discovery platform, its efforts to develop new treatments that address patients who don't respond to current checkpoint inhibitors, and its clinical pipeline in development. Anat, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dan. We're going to talk about immunotherapies, Compugen, and its efforts to pursue novel targets for unmet cancer types. Perhaps, though, we, we can begin with the idea of checkpoint inhibitors. What are they and, and how do they work? Checkpoint inhibitors are actually proteins that are modulating the immune system response. Um, in the context of, uh, of uh, cancer immunotherapy, uh, it was identified that there is a crosstalk between the immune cells and, and the cancer. And this crosstalk is being done through immune checkpoints. And, and usually these are inhibiting the immune system response to the, to the cancer, to the cancer cells. And, uh, and the drugs, the few drugs that are out there that are addressing these uh, immune checkpoints um, uh, to treat cancer patients are actually um, inhibiting the inhibition exerted by the immune checkpoints on the cancer cells and therefore allowing the immune system to be stimulated and actually fight the cancer. This has been a, a real revolution in cancer care, but these still only have limited efficacy. How, how effective are these therapies at, at treating cancer today? Um, as of today, about 20 to 30% of the patient population of the cancer patients are responsive to these drugs. It is increasing with time where more approvals are being done with the current inhibitors. 
But I have to say that, you know, cancer is a multifactorial disease and, uh, and it's actually it's a collection of uh, many different uh, diseases. And we're not in a situation where one treatment fits all. Basically, the current immune checkpoints, uh, uh, drugs are addressing only very few number of drug targets. And there are still many mechanisms that uh, need to be uh, still uh, explored and, uh, and identified and drugs need to be developed in order to address the various mechanisms of action by which the cancers are actually avoiding the immune system. And here's actually, that's where Compigen fits in. And uh, this is what we do. We discover new drug targets and develop uh, first-in-class drugs to address these drug targets. Compigen has developed a, a computational-based drug discovery platform. What is the, the platform and, and how does it work? So the platform is, uh, is uh, basically based on 20 years of uh, know-how that was built at Compigen. We've been a, a computational discovery company for many years. And then after we established the critical mass of discovery capabilities, we turned to be to what we are today, therapeutic discovery and development company. Um, in general, we've built computer systems, tools, and algorithms in order to be able to address the challenge of new drug targets discovery and new biological pathways discovery. Identifying new drug targets is a, is a, is a very complex uh, um, effort. It's multidimensional effort. And, and for that, we had to develop uh, uh, multiple systems. We've built a, a lot of know-how in the company and we've built a, a expertise in what is called multi-omics analysis. We're not limiting our platform to a specific data type or a specific technology. Actually, we're very flexible. Our tools and systems and algorithms are really designed to address multiple data sources, multiple data technologies. And this is because this is a multifactorial um, and complex uh, uh, field to work in. And all of these are augmented with the human expertise that we have in the company in the last 20 years. How do the targets you've discovered differ from the targets that today's checkpoint inhibitors go after? Um, it's a very good question. Actually, it's not very different in terms of, you know, still it's checkpoints, but I think that the nature of checkpoints, one as compared to the others, those that are known and those that we discovered, these are proteins that are very different from one another. So yes, all of them, at least those that are defined as negative co-stimulatory co checkpoints, they're all inhibiting the immune system response against the cancer, but they're doing it in different ways. And what we discovered is actually, and as I said, you know, the checkpoints that are now have been translated to drugs that are in the market, are really only very few. I think about three or so, CTLA-4, PD-1, PDL one 
Um, what we discovered is, you know, new biological pathways that allowed us to discover new immune checkpoints that are still inhibiting the immune system response against the cancer, but in a different way, in a different mechanism. And this allows us to be able to develop hopefully new treatment solutions that will address those cancer patients that are not responsive to the current checkpoint inhibitors, checkpoint blockers. One of the issues with existing immunotherapies is the ability of cancers to develop resistance. What are you doing to address that issue? Um, so this is actually exactly what we're trying to do. Um, the, in, in cancer immunotherapy, it, um, th there are two issues, right? There is the patients that are not responsive and those that with time that are developing what is called acquired resistance. What we're trying to do in the company is to try and focus on those biological pathways that we believe would address those patients that are not responsive to the current checkpoint blocker. So they are addressing in a different way, through a different mechanism, those uh, cancers that uh, and, and actually deliver a different uh, solution to, to, to the problem. And this is what we're trying to, to work on. You know, the leading, uh, uh, the leading uh, drug that is in development at Competent is now only in phase one studies. And we have only initial uh, data uh, in, in the clinic, but the data is actually um, supporting the science behind what we discovered. So we discovered a completely new biological pathway. We actually identified scientifically that it is addressing um, a, new, um, a new mechanism that's still under this family of immune checkpoints. The preclinical data suggested that it should address patients that are not responsive to the current checkpoint blockers. And now we're testing this drug in these patient populations where we believe um, this should, uh, these patients should benefit from this drug and these patients are not responsive to, 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 to the current checkpoint blockers. And the initial data that we got, still it's very initial, but the initial data that we got was actually confirming our hypothesis because the anti-tumor activity that we saw was really in tumor types that are not very responsive to, to the current drugs in the market. It's, a, it's colorectal cancer and a type of ovarian cancer. And that was encouraging for us and, and you know, made us be even more enthusiastic in pushing this forward for, for the benefit of these patients that are suffering. Well, let's talk about your pipeline. You've developed, you've discovered two novel immune checkpoints and you've developed therapies that target these. Well, let's start with COM701. What is it and how does it work? Sure. Actually, we discovered three that are now in clinical studies, three, three new immune checkpoints that are now in clinical studies. Um, but we'll start with COM701. And actually, COM701 is a drug now in phase one studies, in clinical studies, that is targeting a, a protein called PVRIG. 
PVRIG is a, new, is a protein, uh, a new receptor that we identified as a new immune checkpoint, inhibiting the immune system response against the cancer. Um, what is nice about it is that I need to go back a little bit to the history. In 2009, we discovered another immune checkpoint. And back then, we were not a drug development company. We were purely computational discovery company. And we discovered this new immune checkpoint named TIGIT, and we sent it to publication. And uh, it was sent to publication back to back with, uh, with others. And this is out there. And we claim that this is an immune checkpoint. When we established our own pipeline, we didn't start to develop a therapeutic program for this specific TIGIT checkpoint because we didn't want to try to compete with the rest in the industry. It was known already. It was in the public domain. We, we published it together with others. So we went back to this pathway and we identified PVRIG. And then we realized that this PVRIG pathway is actually working in parallel and in complement to the TIGIT pathway. And what we discovered is that these two pathways are working through a third protein called DNAM. And our hypothesis, and it was a scientific hypothesis back then, that these two pathways that are working in parallel and in complement, if these two pathways are operative in a specific uh, cancer type for a specific patient, you'll need to block the two in order to release the immune system from its inhibition, in order to be able to generate anti-tumor immune response, in order to allow the immune system to fight the cancer. And with that, we started. But then the more we worked on this PVRIG pathway, that is the target that COM701, our, our leading program, is addressing, we found out that all this, what we called an axis of PVRIG and TIGIT, is actually working through DNAM, and, and uh, actually there is a molecular intersection between the current drugs in the market that are addressing PD-1 pathway um, and DNAM. And this is supported by literature by others. PD-1 pathway that is serving for the current marketed drugs is actually a pathway that is uh, having an intersection with DNAM. So all in all, TIGIT working through DNAM, PVRIG working through DNAM, and PD-1 working through DNAM, we thought, and our data was supporting this, uh, um, this synergistic uh, uh, um, uh, intersection, all in all, we thought about it as a three-pathway story. And the science supported it, and the preclinical data supported it. And then we moved ahead with COM701 in order to try and, and, uh, and test it as a drug that is um, inhibiting PVRIG signaling and testing its implication in whether it is effective in various cancer patient population. And we also decided, and we're at this today, we're the only company that has a clinical stage PVRIG antibody. So we are the only one that can test it. We also decided to test the three pathway story and to try and block the three pathways in tumor types where we think 
that these three pathways are inhibiting the immune system response against the cancer and to test the efficacy and whether these patients are relieved from this inhibition and response to these three drugs. You're pursuing 701 both as a monotherapy and in a number of different cancers in, in combination with other immunotherapies. What's known about 701 to date? So few things are known. Uh, we know that in vitro, when we test it, it is actually inhibiting PVRIG and is stimulating T cells, the immune cells, uh, to, to, um, um, to fight the, uh, the cancer cells. We also know that in vivo, in, in disease animal models, it is inhibiting the tumor growth. We also know that it is enhancing the survival of these animals. We also know that PVRIG, the target of COM701, is actually uh, uh, expressed on, identified on immune cells and tumor cells, and that, um, and that it is identified on tumor cells that are, on one hand, largely are not responsive to PD-1 blockers, the drugs in the market, and these include breast, ovarian, and endometrial cancers, but that it is also uh, uh, expressed on tumor types like non-small cell lung cancer that are responsive to the current checkpoint blockers in the market, but um, it is identified on what is called the PDL1 uh, um, positive and negative patient populations, also those that are not considered to be responsive to uh, non small cell and cancer patients that are not considered to be responsive to, to the PD1 blockers, to the current checkpoint blockers. Um, so, this is what we know. And, and combining it with this triple pathway story where we think that different patient populations have different dominance of this uh, uh, one or two or three of these pathways, we're actually going ahead, as you said, testing COM701 in monotherapy, testing COM701 uh, with a, a checkpoint blocker, a, a PD-1 blocker, and testing COM701 in, in triple combination, inhibiting TGIT as well as PD-1. And the idea is to be able to directly evaluate the science uh, uh, that we discovered and whether you know, this, blocking these pathways will really uh, help patients. And as I said, we already have for COM701, also data in the clinic, uh, um, very initial data, but highly supportive of the path that we're taking. I'm wondering if you could walk us through a little the, the thinking process behind the development strategy. How do you go about prioritizing indications and what you'll test in, in combination and what you'll look at as a monotherapy? Um, actually, it's a very good question because you understand now that the potential uh, for various indications and various drug combinations for different patient populations is out there. So it's a, it's a very good question. So first about the indication, um, we go about it from what we understand about the pathway scientifically. 
and what we identified preclinically and we translate all this to the clinical. So as I said, the PVRIG pathway, PVRIG, PVRL2 pathway, this is the ligand, the PVRL2, is actually identified in specific tumor types to a higher extent. So we first picked to focus on those specific indications. And these are ovarian cancer, endometrial cancer, breast cancer, and non-small uh, non cell lung cancer. Also, in the initial data, clinical data that we already ob uh, observed with COM701, we realized that uh, MSS colorectal cancer, which is really a cancer that is not responsive to checkpoint blockers, we also identified that this cancer was uh, uh, presenting some anti-tumor activity with our uh, with COM701. So based on this initial clinical data, we decided to add also colorectal cancer to the tumor types that we're going to focus on. So this is one portion with respect to the indications. Uh, we try to increase the probability of success of the, of the clinical trials that we're, uh, that we're doing. The combinations themselves, really this is stemming from the three pathway story. We think that, and this is supported by our preclinical data, that in different tumor types, you'll get different dominance of each of these three pathways, the PD-1, the TIGIT, and the PVRIG. And therefore, in different tumor types and in different patient populations, you'll need to treat these patients with different combinations. And how we go about this, we try to align it with with the appearance of these pathways in these different uh, uh, indications. So we think that while in certain tumor types or certain cancer populations where the PD-1 pathway is more dominant, you'll treat these patients with PD-1 blockers and they'll respond. And this explains that 20 to 30% of the patients that are responsive to PD-1 blockers. But we think that in other cases, some of the resistance, some of the non-responsiveness to PD-1 blockers will be because you did not inhibit the, the, the additional one or two pathways, PVRIG and or with TIGIT. And this is how we go about it. And this is why we test COM-71 as monotherapy in tumor types where we think that this, you know, these patients may likely benefit from this drug. And we also test COM-71 with nivolumab in tumor types that we think that, um, uh, um, that it may work. At this point in time, we only uh, uh, was testing the dose escalation of COM-71 plus nivolumab, uh, a PD-1 inhibitor, and we are considering how to move ahead with this one. But it was very important for us to focus on a triplet study. And in this triplet study, we block all the, all the three pathways. And that's the direct way for us to test our hypothesis. And this is why we gave it first priority. And that's the way to test, uh, and the best way to test where the uh, cancer patients are responsive. Um, and we also plan to move ahead and test PVRAG and TIGIT inhibition by COM701 and our TIGIT inhibitor, which is COM902, uh, independent of PD-1 blocker. So really to be able to test the different combinations of these three 
triple pathway story um, in the different, uh, 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 the different combinations in the different cancer indications. I did not mention, but I think that it is the time to mention that uh, uh, these combination studies are being done in, in collaboration with the Bristol Mayor Squibb that is supplying to us nivolumab, which is their checkpoint blocker, their PD-1 checkpoint blocker. And they're also supplying us their TIGIT inhibitor, which is an investigational drug. So just to put this in. You mentioned, well. you mentioned 902. This targets the, a different checkpoint. What is 902 and what indications are you pursuing for that? So 902 is our own TIGIT inhibitor. So I'll go back to 2009. Remember, I was telling you that we did the first checkpoint inhibitor that we, that we published was a, a TIGIT. And at that point in time, we sent it to publication back to back with the publication of others. And we didn't pick to work on the TIGIT pathway for therapeutic development at that point in time, first because we were not a drug development company at that point in time, but also when we turned to be a development company, we thought that we shouldn't you know, just compete with the rest because it is already known. So our model is more to focus on new biological pathways that we discover and we have an edge in. Um, but when we discovered that PVRIG pathway is actually working in parallel and in complement to TIGIT, and that in some cases, in some patient populations, it will make sense to block not only PVRIG by COM701, but also to combine to COM701 TIGIT blockade, and in this way to expand the the, the patient population that is responsive, at least this is our belief and it's supported by our preclinical data, we decided that we're going to develop our own TIGIT inhibitor. And why is that? TIGIT inhibitors are not in the market at this point in time. We believe that these two pathways are very important in what we call the DINAM axis. And we wanted to make sure that we have the flexibility as a company to test these two in clinical studies. And, and this is why we, we just uh, decided to develop our own TIGIT and control the two arms of this axis, the TIGIT and the PVRIG. So this is COMS 902. It's our own TIGIT inhibitor. You've identified biomarkers tied to these targets. What role does that have on patient selection and would you expect to bring this to market with a companion diagnostic? Um, yes, it's very interesting. So when we discovered the PVRIG pathway, we noted that, um, uh, that the patients that, uh, uh, that are expressing this pathway are, are actually um, uh, defined by high PVRL2 expression. And these are the two more types that are shared with you, ovarian, endometrial, breast, etc. So one of the goals that we have is actually, and we tested the different DNAM axis members, the different receptors and the ligands, uh, you know, TIGIT and, and its ligand and the PD-1 and its ligand. In, in the preclinical studies, we tested the, all the axis members. So basically what we decided is that in a stepwise approach, we will also test whether 
these uh, proteins can serve the identification of these proteins in biopsies of patients can serve for uh, predicting which patients are going to respond to our drug. And in this way, really to bring the drug to those patient populations that could benefit from it. So we're doing it in a stepwise approach. First, I was telling you that we were focusing in our clinical studies on specific indications, and that's in a biomarker-informed manner. We selected these indications based on those, pay, those cancer indications that are expressing to a higher extent the PVRIG, PVRL2 pathway. So that's one step. The next step in the expansion cohorts of our study, monotherapy and also the combinations, we are uh, collecting biopsies from patients. And we're also collecting, uh, obviously, blood samples. We're collecting it pre-treatment and on treatment. And the idea is to look at the expression profile of these proteins in, and mainly PVRL2 in these uh, uh, biopsies and uh, biological samples in order to be able to assess whether we can identify which patients are, you know, expressing, for example, high PVRL2 and are also responsive to the drug itself. That will give us a hint that there is a correlation and that maybe it can serve as a biomarker. In the next stage, and this is already uh, incorporated into the triple combination study that we conduct with Bristol Myers Squibb. One of the arms of the expansion cohort is going to enroll patients that are uh, having high PVRL2, tumor types with high PVRL2, which is one of the biomarkers that we're testing. And, and with that, we're going to really select patients in the study. Uh, so yes, the goal eventually is to maximize the chances to identify a biomarker that will allow us to select patients that would most likely benefit from the, uh, the drug. Uh, a moment ago, you referenced the partnerships. I'm wondering what role partnerships play in your development strategy and, and how they fit into it in a, a broader context? Yes, actually it does play a role. We're a small biotech company, so obviously partnerships can help us on two fronts, and both for reven generating revenues, but also to allow us to progress our own pipeline to and still retain value so from the pipeline while we're partnering the program. So, um, so yes, it plays a role. Today we have three... Uh, partnerships already in place. I mentioned the collaboration with the Bristol Mayor Squibb, which is a clinical uh, collaboration where uh, Bristol Mayor Squibb supplied to us an Evolumab and their own TIGIT inhibitor. And, uh, and we conduct the studies, the combination studies with COM701. Uh, under the collaboration, uh, um, the program is owned by Compigen, but Bristol Mersquib has the right of first negotiation during an exclusivity period. And uh, under this clinical collaboration, BMS uh, took an equity position at Compigen. They own about 3% uh, of the equity at Compigen. 
The other collaboration is very different from the BMS collaboration. Uh, this is a, a development and commercialization agreement that we have with Bayer. So with Bayer, we entered into this collaboration at a very early stage. Uh, it's a new drug target that we discovered, a new immune checkpoint. Again, a totally different uh, mechanism of action from the other checkpoints that are known or our the checkpoints that are in our pipeline. Um, in this collaboration, we had a joint preclinical research and then Bayer got the full control for the program. And this program is now in phase one studies. Um, up, until, up until today, we got uh, uh, $30 million in, in upfront and milestone payments, and we're still eligible for over $250 million in milestone payments and meet to high single digit royalties. Um, and the third uh, collaboration the partnership that we have is actually with AstraZeneca. And you'll see that this one is also very different from the other two. Um, with AstraZeneca, actually, we license to them the right to develop bispecific antibodies to one of the programs in our pipeline. So we kept the rights for monotherapy, combination therapy, and also by some bispecific rights that we had an interest in, and we licensed to them uh, uh, all the rest of the uh, bispecific rights. Um, on top of an upfront payment that we got of $10 million, we're eligible for packages of masks and royalties for each and every product that is going to be developed based on this uh, uh, antibody. So these are the three collaborations that we have in place, but I took, you know, I took the time to describe them to you because I think that it alludes to how we think about collaborations. We're not limiting ourselves to a specific type of collaboration, uh, collaborative arrangement. That's not the point. Really, the collaborations need to be tailored into the value, uh, the path forward uh, of the specific uh, therapeutic uh, candidate that we develop. Um, it needs to allow us to advance this candidate as fast as possible to the market but also to allow us to retain value. So this is why, you know, we would like to enter into collaborations. And obviously our pipeline consists of today of three clinical stage uh, programs. And we have an earlier stage pipeline um, that can also serve for collaborations. So this is how we think about collaborations. Anat Kondag, CEO of Copygen. Anat, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Dan. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.